You're listening to Microspy, a podcast that takes a closer look at the lives and work of musicians and creatives I admire. My name is Eric Rattensperger. In this episode, I speak with visual artist Jesse Draxler. Jesse is probably most known for his abstract visual manipulation through collage. He's had solo exhibitions between New York and Los Angeles and has done commercial work for brands like Saint Laurent, Alexander McQueen, and Ferrari. One of his most iconic works became the cover art for Daughter's 2018 comeback album, You Won't Get What You Want. Jesse has also worked with Nine Inch Nails and Chelsea Wolfe. Our conversation explores creative process during a pandemic, using collage as a way to warp reality, isolation as a concept, and his latest project entitled Raining Cement. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jesse Draxler. If I'm being completely honest, like my life hasn't changed a whole lot since this whole COVID-19 thing. As far as routine and shit, like I live a pretty isolated life already. I socialize very little. Yeah. I don't go out a whole lot. You know, I do every now and then to break it up. But um, the way that I've been living is pretty much the same. You know, I, I spend studio time almost all day with breaks to do like um, I go running or biking or just picking up groceries and shit like that. So like that's still what I'm doing. The only difference is, is that everybody's doing it. So it feels different, even though I'm doing like the same thing. It still feels different, but almost in like um, a less lonely way. Like knowing that everybody else is living exactly the same way as I have been makes me feel like, I don't know, it's like less uh, heavy. Because sometimes it gets heavy, you know, like living like this all the time. It's almost as if there's like a collective energy that you can feel, even, even if like you don't see any more people than you normally would. Um, Absolutely. It's just sort of this this energy that you can feel. I mean, even even here, because I live in Mount Washington and, you know, it's a pretty, pretty residential neighborhood. But to tell you the truth, my routine, it's similar where, you know, I, I work from home, I run and it's pretty singular, you know. But to your point, yeah, the only difference is that you know that everyone else is kind of going about their their own version of this. And it is true. I think a lot of people have probably had more difficulty falling into this new reality, whereas people like us might be a little bit more acquainted with maybe not necessarily isolation, but certainly just, well, a level of it, I, I suppose, you know. And just being um, able to like isolation. occupy yourself when the thing that you love to do the most is something that requires you to be alone pretty much. It's yeah, a big difference. Completely. I know there's like tons of people struggling right now with like being isolated and being home and like not knowing what to do with themselves. And, and that's not something that me or, or most of the people that I've been speaking with or keep in touch with are having an issue with, you know, there's plenty to do. A lot of people, it seems like they thrive on, on social activity, you know, and I think I'm a social person, but I'm also incredibly introverted. It's almost like I can be social when mm -hmm. I need to be but I'm just as okay with kind of going about my own thing and just being in my head. It's not like I need to go out yeah. and I need to interact with people all day, every day. You I know? was talking with a friend about that just recently about how, like, where do you draw your, your energy from, like your creative energy from? Does it come from within you? Do you generate it yourself or do you need to be exposed to other things or other people or whatever in order to get that? This is a time that you really find that out. Where do you get your creative energy from? That's a, 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 an interesting point to bring up because I was going to ask you, even though you haven't really disrupted your routine in terms of sort of acknowledging that there is a collective energy just because of this circumstance, 
are you finding yourself drawing from the same places in terms of your your creativity and inspiration or or is, is there something else kind of coming into play I was already working on a lot of things when this all hit like I had a show coming up and and a few other things which is you know obviously now postponed or canceled or whatever but um but when this hit it changed my you know just my perspective and my my outlook and it made me or like forced me to like look at the concepts that I was working with at the time and they they suddenly you know very quickly felt trite in many ways you know what I mean where it was like finding the thing to make the work about um and I don't I don't mean trite even it just seemed like irrelevant now I pivoted into trying to figure out what what I wanted to say during this time or what kind of inspiration was coming to me during this time and and kind of falling into just a new perspective or kind of just shifting everything. Um, but that being said, I mean, a lot of the concepts that I've been working with all along still fit this time better than ever, you know, like I've always been inspired mm -hmm. by and drawn a lot of my creative energy from, you know, the darker side of life. And so the doom and the gloom that everybody is now feeling is something that, you know, I exist in that space all the time. That's where I go to get my inspiration. This isn't very far off from that. <laughs> you know, I noticed on your one of your recent Instagram posts, it looked like you took a handful of works, and these might be some mm -hmm. of the concepts that you're you're speaking of. But you kind of you basically mm -hmm. defaced them. And when you did that, what was kind of going through your head when you know you were sort of in one particular process and you were approaching the work in one way, but then because this happened and you started having those feelings of questioning whether or not it was the direction you wanted to go. Because, again, you, you made another good point about how it's almost as if more now than ever, there's, a more, there's more relevance or there's an amplification of, mm -hmm. of the work that you're doing, but you still felt mm -hmm. compelled to deface a handful of, of these works that you... you, you yeah, a lot of those works were um, like text-based works. And the, the, what they mm. said basically quickly became completely irrelevant, you know, where I was like, well, this is no longer, you know, something that I stand behind um, or I want to put out there even, you know, in this kind of climate. But those pieces were also more so like a statement in and of themselves of just um, the general sentiment that sank in in the days following my first realization of what this was going to be and that this wasn't something that was going to just last a few weeks, that this was going to be a long lasting, very impactful thing that's happening. That's going to, I mean, hopefully change society for the forever. Everything has changed now. And that's kind of where I landed with how I wanted to think about this event and what I, how I wanted to speak about it or what I had to say about it was that this was a life altering thing. Things are never going to go back to the same. And I want to prepare to, be part of, you know, the new world that emerges after this. I crossed all those out because that was the initial, the initial thought right away was just like, well, never mind all this shit. So like even one of those, it just says never mind and everything else is crossed out. And, you know, fuck this, that piece where there's a big swath in the middle that's all crossed out. And then it says fuck this over it. But the fuck this isn't meant to be even about like fuck this situation. I just mean to say like fuck this, what it used to say, you know, like fuck this old idea. Because right. I'm on to new ideas now. Right. Like I'm, you know, I'm not trying to exist in that same world that I was before. Yeah, it, it almost prompts you to abandon that trajectory you're on. I like how you described it as like a, a pivot, you know? It's like you kind of observed your environment. You have uh, observed the current circumstance and then you mm -hmm. immediately pivoted. Not just as like, 
a, a person who's like suddenly having to bleach their hands every time they go outside, but more so from a mindset and creative perspective and sort of what you now are already anticipating as far as where you're going to take your work and how you're going to interpret this sort of new new normal, I guess, which is weird to say that this is kind of becoming and is going to become a new normal because there really isn't, you know, there's, there's really no mm-hmm. end in sight. <laughs> it's such a weird thing for, I think, most people to grasp. Yeah, I don't think most people and, are. I think, um, I think a lot of people are still just... They're in like a waiting phase. And I think the waiting phase is kind of a dangerous place to be in right now. Nobody should be waiting for anything. You know what I mean? Like everybody's waiting for something to go back to normal or people are still waiting for a few weeks to go by. I don't think that's the right mindset to have. I think the sooner that you can accept that the world is changing forever is, uh, is better. You know, the better you can do, the sooner you can do that, the better. I, mean. I, I totally agree. It's almost like there's this resistance, people trying to, to believe that they can change what they can't or, or that they, it's like, you know, government leadership saying that they're trying to put a timeline on something that they simply just do not have any control over. It's also the same type of behavioral stuff that like these younger people are, are doing when going to the beach and saying, yeah. this is my spring break. And yeah, and if I get it, well, whatever. It's like, fuck, you know? This situation has kind of brought out the best and worst of humanity. Absolutely. You know? and, and it's all there for us to see and observe. And it's just fucking crazy to me. And it, it's like the absurd and the, the, the exposure, you know, the holes in the system yeah, and everything, and just how the class system, you know, even becoming just yeah. such, so apparent, just like right in front of like things happening right in front of us that just feel like slaps in the face, you know, like okay, just throw all this money at the stock market. That was like the first move they tried to do. There's like tons of fucking money. It's like, what, what? Where'd all that money come from? What the fuck? Like, why can't we get that? And shit, just yeah. shit like that. It makes me think about, and I, I think about this, you know, not often, but from time to time, just about this sort of false sense of, of what this actually is in terms of, you know, a, a body of people. And, and I, I don't, we don't need to take this yeah. in, in like a political direction at all, you know, cause it's like a that point, but, but just to like, you, you really see just how much of uh, a crock of shit this system yeah. is and that is, it, 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 and it, and it really is not set up to take care of mm-hmm. the, the majority of yep. the people. It's completely for the rich and it's completely for, for those with, of privilege. And like you said, you know, in terms of like socio, socioeconomic, the classism, that's being completely outlined by this and but even so the fact that like medical workers don't have the the proper equipment to protect themselves in order to serve people who are sick it just i mean if you if you get stuck on that that shit will just oh yeah yeah it's it's on yeah yeah i don't get stuck in the politics you know of it i really try not to at least but some things are just you can't um some things are just so apparent they're just so obvious like out there that it's not even a political thing anymore it's just fact almost you know like and you're seeing it but I, i'm trying not to politicize what? it i don't want to take any you know sides or anything it just seems like a silly thing to no. politicize i'm trying to pay more attention to the science and in that kind of shit and like exactly. what i can do but i'm taking this time I'm, ta- I'm trying to take advantage of the opportunity within this to, to change myself and everything like that to your point what you were saying earlier too is like isn't it a pretty common phrase or turn of phrase just like you you see who somebody really is in a crisis, right? Like, who are you in a crisis? And like, 
I think that's what I'm taking yeah. away from this more than anything else is like seeing how people are behaving in this crisis and if they're keeping their shit together and if they're able to support other people and if they're keeping a positive mental attitude through it, you know, all these things I think are very telling. Apologies, I'm trying to figure out <laughs> No problem. To, uh, the next, the it's, next a, it's a thing. tough yeah, segue yeah. From, I mean, from that into anything else, right? <laughs> well, I, I know, right? Because your brain kind of gets stuck on just like, oh, fuck. You. Yeah, really and, and that's the weirdest part, man, sometimes, where you're just like, everything feels normal, and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, there's a... <laughs> I mean, that's that's just it. And again, it, it, all, it just brings me back to you explaining how you're kind of adapting to it, because I think that's exactly what it is, where one minute you're you're on this path of quote-unquote normalcy and your your daily routine and just sort of going about your typical process but then it dawns on you that this is just not this is not the Mm -hmm. landscape that we were a part of just two or three weeks ago and so yeah every now and again you kind of check in with yourself like yeah what am i doing and like wait what am i fretting over and like you know what's going on that's one of the first things that i mentioned like right when it really sank in about like this was happening you know which was a little i think on the early end but not by much where i I realized like this was a changing thing but the first thing i noticed was like oh shit all those anxieties and worries that i had just last week seem just so meaningless now like i'm not worried about any of those same things anymore like none of them which is pretty eye-opening right away it was just like um I, I had said I've never felt more present, you know, even though I was in a state of kind of shock in a state of fucking like anxiety that wasn't going away for days. But even in that, I still felt like I was more present yeah. than I had ever been where I was like in that moment, in these moments, not my mind, other places thinking about the future and worrying about things or guilty about the past. It was all gone. And I was just here. And that was an interesting observation in the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a similar way. You know, there, there is like a level of anxiety of the unknown, but when you kind of get through those moments and then suddenly you just have what's in front of you and you're like, okay. And then, and then in addition to just feeling the collective energy of, of basically society mm. being shut down, I mean, it's just, and that, yeah, everything is and shut down. And to that point too, everything like that has definitely pause. changed the, the way, like, well, it do, it's not changing the way that I'm making work or changing the fact that I am making work, but there is those moments where you're working on stuff. And like I, I had said earlier, I would, I had a show coming up and I had, you know, other things that I was working on and then you're working on things and you realize like, oh, this isn't for anything anymore. Like this isn't, there's no showing this work right now, like they, or for the foreseeable future, there's no, it's not that there's not an audience, but you can't go about it the same way. You kind of have to, again, pivot into okay, so how can I still share this with uh, an audience without needing a gallery or without, you know, a show coming up? So those are interesting realizations as well that, you know, sometimes can be, you know, depressing when you're like working on something and then you realize like, oh shit, like I don't have that show anymore. You know, that kind of sucks. It applies to music as well. I mean, with all, with everyone having to cancel their tours and all that, I mean, again, it's, it's a weird thing when, when suddenly you're sort of in this creative ecosystem, whether it's visual art or if it's music or if it's anything creative, and then you have these traditional frameworks for them, right? You have a gallery show or you have a venue where with a stage, you set up your equipment and play in front of people or, or people attend the show and absorb your work in person and stuff like that. And, and then suddenly 
those platforms are no longer there. Yeah. So, what am I going to do? Wait, <laughs> what, yeah. how do we, like, where do we go from here? Like, what, you know, I mean, of course, you know, most people, they make music mm-hmm. in isolation as well. And, but it's sort of that like second part to it that you, that that's sort of like this question mark. I mean, of course, mm-hmm. yeah, you can put out a record online and that's cool. Or you can figure out how to create an experience digitally and all that. But, you kind of realize that there, there's such a big component of interaction and, and integration, physical integration, when it comes to um, that sort of gateway to experiencing work or, or art or creativity. And when it's suddenly not there, it's like, wait, what, like, what? How yeah, do we, totally. How do we proceed, I mean, you know? and all that being said, there still is like the other side of it too, is that everybody's home right now and, they're a captive audience. You know, if you want to put something out now that can be on the internet, there's a good chance that more people are going to see it now than may have before, you know, because everybody's just sitting at home and taking in content nonstop. Media, you know, it's huge right now. You're supposed to sit at home. A lot of people don't have anything else to do or they're just sitting on social medias or online all day. So you might have a chance of like, you know, getting more eyes on your stuff now. And, and also to that point, I know this doesn't exist in music as much as it does in art, but like when you're working on a show, you're always encouraged not to share that work while you're working on the show. Or if you're working on an editorial for a magazine, you're always encouraged or forced to not share that work until the magazine's out. And I think that's funny in these times. And I almost want to put the message out there to artists like, hey, hey, y'all, like not the fucking time to be holding on to your work and saving it for any future thing. Now's the time to share your work. And it's not even just for yourself, but for everybody else, like everybody needs art right now and to hold on to it, thinking that you're going to, you know, for some other more grand way of unveiling it, it's just a ridiculous notion right now. I agree. I totally agree. It's like, it's almost like you should, you need to really consider being more open to uh, a level of not vulnerability, but just, just rawness and and like embracing process maybe. And it's not like, it's not like you have to take someone on an Instagram live trip to like like oh i i apply this to this and this is i mean you you absolutely could but in terms i totally know what you mean in terms of like the great mm-hmm. unveil of, of a particular work it, it, it just yeah. doesn't seem relevant to with a future the, that's the completely uncertain the like, idea of waiting to share something is like just ludicrous just totally agree you mentioned an an upcoming show and i don't are, are you referring to raining cement I was going to be having a gallery show that was going to coincide with the release of the project that you're talking about, Raining Cement. And um, I was trying to line them up to happen around the same time, the release of the album, which I'm sure we'll get into talking about, and then also the gallery opening. Mm -hmm. And it was going to be, you know, like this one-two punch, like, you know, a big thing. Um, But now that gallery, it's all postponed at best. The album is coming out no matter what. It doesn't have a release date right now, but we're announcing it next Friday. So we're going forward with it, which we thought was important to just truck on, you know, and like keep on going with it even through these times. And it turned out totally. to be like a really great thing to be able to work on through these times. Can you let everyone know what this new project is? It's called is. Um, Raining so, Cement. Yeah. And it's a project that I've been working on for really years now. The first step was just gathering um, environmental sound recordings on my phone of like construction sites and alarms and things like that. But I basically I amassed a group of those sounds that I recorded and made a folder in Dropbox. And then 
I approached musicians, anybody that I had worked with before or that I was a fan of or that may have been a fan of mine and um, got together a really great group of artists and or of musicians. And the stipulations for the project were that they could only use the sound recordings that I was supplying. Everybody got the same group of assets and they could only use those assets to create a song or a track, whatever they wanted to make out of it, they could. It could be as abstract as they wanted or it could be a pop song doesn't matter just whatever their interpretation would be so all the music is compiled on each track of only those sounds and the one thing that they could add that wasn't generated by myself was vocals if they wanted to i've gotten mm. over 20 musicians now um with a few more still coming in that have submitted tracks or will be submitting tracks and we're going to be releasing it on a record label that i started with um well that greg puchado started and uh, brought me on so we're kind of co-founders of this label and uh, it's coming out on that on that label and we're announcing next friday it's such a rad concept when you when you first showed it to me the one thing i was going to ask you was what kind of prompted the curation of these particular sounds i know that you you're mm -hmm. a, you know you're a commuter on bike and your mm -hmm. studio is in an industrial area and there's a lot of construction going on. And what, what kind of drew you to taking these field recordings of these particular... That's a really good question. I have no idea why I started taking the sound recordings. Because when I started taking the sound recordings, the idea for the project wasn't, you know, wasn't there. So I don't know why I started taking sound recordings, to be honest. But um, the idea came to me after a while, after I had a bunch of them. And uh, I sent you the proposal and it says it's in the proposal, but back in the day, like, you know, years ago, I participated in a project where a group of collage artists were all sent the same packet of assets and we were told we could create whatever we wanted, but we had to use only those assets. I thought that was a really cool idea. Yeah. And it was basically the same exact idea as that only with sound and musicians. Back to your point, I don't know why I took the sound recordings, but the project has turned into and kind of always was since the beginning of thinking about the project was that. It was kind of um, a love-hate letter to the area that I live in, or basically almost even just the city in general, because um, I come from a small town in Wisconsin, and I still have a cabin in the middle of the woods in Wisconsin. And after going back and forth between the two a few times, I just I started taking note of like what the big differences are between the two. Like, there's so many. It's obvious the differences, right? But like, just having it be so yeah. such a stark difference going back and forth between these two environments. And it's really hard to live in the environment here that my studio is in sometimes. It's so bleak. It's just, there's no nature. It's, it's just uh, junkyards, recycling plants, cement factories, gravel yards, scrap metal, that kind of shit. It's incredibly inspiring sometimes. I think it's clear from my, from my work and from like the stuff that I share on Instagram that it's heavily inspiring, but it also can really weigh on you at times. So like I said, like the project turned into kind of this love-hate letter for this part of town or this environment. Where you are in Los Angeles, it is essentially the polar opposite mm -hmm. to where you grew up or, or, or the, the mm -hmm. cabin that you have back home. It's like a reflection of where you currently are and where you're making work. And I, I like how you... Uh, you frame it as like a, a, a yeah. letter, you know, like a love-hate letter. Again, we're we're entering the unknown, but hopefully it turns out however you see it to be the most relevant way to present it to people. I like the collaborative element of it. 
I think it's such a cool idea to kind of incorporate or integrate visual with audio and approach it as a collage. And I think it's cool to ha- to kind of impose those those particular rules where you have to almost use the ingredients that you're given to make something completely completely Absolutely. new. I um I did an interview. I don't know if it was last year or two years ago for um, the Creative Independent. I think they the actual like headline for it was something about like Jesse Draxler and the freedom of limitations or something like that. Because um, we talked a lot about that in the interview where that limitations can be freeing in a lot of ways because it frees you of everything outside of the limitation. You know, it frees you from infinity. Well, I, I love that because it's, it's relevant to our current circumstance where the pandemic oh, yeah. is a total limitation. But with, with that, you know, in a way it does create freedom. And it's, it goes back to you mentioning how you feel more present now because of the circumstances and that's something to really consider, especially when you're in this creative process and you're sort of interpreting your environment that has limitations, but very well might blow the doors wide open in terms of what you percent. Yeah, for sure. In so many ways, this is imposing limitations. Even in my practice, in my studio, like right now, like I've been feeling limitations, like I can't go to the art store, pick up supplies or clothes. But I have a lot of supplies, luckily, but it's forcing me to go back through a lot of my old material, you know, and bring that back out and see what that does and, and making some cool stuff off of, out of that. So it's a good time for that. Yeah. Before and, we go on about oh, the yeah, Random Cement project that, um, it, it's announced next Friday, there'll be a video that comes out. I'll be releasing more singles with videos from the album. And then it's also accompanied by that hundred page photo zine. So that's the other side of the, the project where it's, the music, so it'll be released as a vinyl, probably a double vinyl because of how many tracks there are and how long it is. And then every vinyl will come with um, mm. an accompanying 100-page zine. And those are all photos that I took around this environment as well. So that's the full package and like the full scope of it. It is truly meant to be an audio-visual project, a companion to one another. With this project, are you, you're collaborating with the guys from... So the first single, if you want to call it a single, you know, it's not really a single. It's just like a, yeah. a track that I'm putting out um, to announce for announcing. But it's actually not with the Full of Hell, all of the dudes. It's actually just Dylan Walker, who's the vocalist from Full of Hell. Mm. So the first track is um, me and Dylan Walker, obviously. and then Or not obviously, but me, obviously, with Dylan Walker. And um, the video that would be accompanying it was edited. It's all footage of mine edited by um, Riz of the band Vows. And Vows also has a track on it. So there's like this cool three-way collaboration going on for this first track. That's sick. And that's going to drop next week. With Yeah, so I guess I think me and you spoke and you're going to try to release this on the same day. So if people are listening to it on April 3rd, that's available today. Or it's out there today. And I think this is exactly what people... I mean, they don't, they don't know it's coming nope. really, but, but when they, when they do see it, it's, I just think that this is going to be sort of an unexpected thing in a way. It's almost more relevant now upon its release. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, it's, it's I went so, through stages of it. Like when, when I was realizing about like the impact of this pandemic and initially I was like, okay, I'm just going to push all of that back down. I'm not going to, I'm not going to announce anything while this is happening and all this shit. And then as it, sink in more and the length of what we're actually facing here started sinking and was like well you can't just be on hold for you know six months or longer so then i spoke with greg about it and um and a pr person and we were like yeah it's a great time to do it now as i became comfortable with that idea more it became more and more perfect where it was like this is the absolute best time to release this like this is what 
I need and I think maybe other people need. It also is bringing together a community of people. And in this time, you know, community is so important. So it's just, I think it's a perfect time to be unleashing something like this. I can't wait to see how it all kind of comes together and how people respond. Yeah, me neither. It it will be interesting to see. And and it's been actually, um, I was having a difficult time wondering about like, what should the first track be? Just because there's so much variance between the tracks. I didn't want to give anybody a wrong idea of what this whole album is going to sound like, but it's impossible not to. People are just going to have to understand like, yeah, we're releasing a track and this track sounds nothing like any of the other tracks and like we'll release another track and that track won't sound like any other tracks and it's you know um i was having a hard time with that but i've pretty much gotten over over that but that's to your point of like how it will be accepted by people like i really i really hope it is accepted well obviously but i really have no idea what people are going to think of this i don't know if anything like this has even been done before well that's that's the thing it's, it's a completely new approach and there's there's a lot left to like you you almost have to see how it works once it's, yeah. it's out you know and and how people receive it and um yeah i mean that's kind of what's exciting about it is sort of the unknown it's not a typical formula basically it's it's completely i mean you've never done anything like this no before, no right? i haven't done anything like this before and i haven't i mean i've seen a lot of collaborative albums and a lot of like, compilation albums obviously you know like shit like that but nothing ever yeah. like this really where like a non-musician well, yeah, be- releasing an album, even that took time for me to like get my head around like, oh yeah, this is my album, I guess, but I'm not a musician even. Like how strange of a thing for a visual artist to release an album in which he's not a musician at all. There's a lot of visual artists that are musicians that release albums with bands, but they're musicians, not just visual artists. So I, I don't, I've never even heard of that before. You know? It's cool because you've created this mix of, of course, collaboration with other artists or musicians, but you took these field recordings and even though they're audio, it's almost like you, you've, it's, it's as if you approached it as just like another, an asset to basically create mm-hmm. a collage. It just happens to be an integration of, of, of audio. And yeah, absolutely. The way that I go about collage is kind of like warping my environment, even if it's just going through a magazine and taking pages out and like mixing them up and stuff. It's still like this warping of the reality that's in front of me. So I like always thought of myself as like this, like a conduit to another world almost or just like you put you put something through me and I'll turn out something else. Like I'll give it my perspective or whatever. It's like, here's my assets. Here's my world and whatever. And I want I need people to warp it now, you know, and like sort it you totally beat me to it because I was going to ask you about what about collage? What drew you to this idea of collage? And I think you, you, you answered it in a really great way in terms of warping reality or reality in your own way. When was the moment where you realized that this was sort of a, an approach to your, your creativity that you wanted to really expand? Sure. I, um, I mean, I've been an artist like all my life, you know, like since I was a young child, I was drawing and stuff like that. So I was always into drawing and painting, but I didn't come up to collage really until, I don't know, I must have been, I don't even remember how old I was, but I was a senior in college and I did my um, my senior thesis paper on the commodification of subculture. In mm. doing so, I used punk as, you know, the case study, obvious for obvious reasons. It was the easiest one, you know, the most obvious um, one of the commodification of the punk subculture into mainstream aesthetics, you know, that was, was pretty apparent. So through doing that, I got yeah. into collage because that was, you know, the main form of punk art. And so my project that went along with my thesis was all collaging. And that's where it really jumped off. It's simple as that. 
and I just never let go. Um, I still draw and I still paint, you know, to this day, but I, collage has become like the main thing that I'm known for, for sure. I love it for so many reasons. It's, it's like always working with ready-mades in a way, you know, where it's like, I don't have to, to render any of these things like by drawing or painting, it's just exists already. And then I can cut it up and play with compositions and focus on the things that really interest me more than rendering. Like I'm not that interested in craft. I'm more interested in ideas and I'm interested in compositions and, and things like that. Collage makes it like a direct access to working with the facets of art that I'm most interested in. And then through collaging, I've, you know, began I've become like a photographer as well so that I can take photographs mm. and then I then collage. So, I mean, the process has extended and forced me into other facets of art creation. So in terms of it sort of not forcing you, but just sort of organically leading you through different areas of, of creation, because you, you mentioned photography, mm -hmm. what prompted you to start taking photos to kind of correspond with, with the collaging? It was actually a necessity, I think, is what it was, mm -hmm. where it was like, I, I got to, like, so for a long time, I was working with other photographers, and I still do work with other photographers sometimes. But I was working solely with other photographers, I wasn't taking any photographs myself. And it just became apparent over time, that if this was to be sustainable, and I mean, this is an overarching theme of my whole life, is that uh, complete self reliance, if you can attain it, then you should, that's kind of how I think, like, if you're able to gain complete freedom from other, you know, needing other things or other people or outside sources, then that then you should, or that's like the route to take. And so I took that route and taking my own photographs was part of that where it was like, I no longer need anybody else to do that for me, I can just do it. And I think the necessity came from some client based work where I needed photos of the client or whatever to, to work into the art, or to collages or whatever. And, and I felt I couldn't rely on any of them or not rely, but like, I just didn't want to work with other people or I couldn't, you know, maybe the budget was too low or something. I don't remember to like include a photographer. Do you know what I mean? And it just became a necessity. And I just decided to buy a really nice camera and figure it out. It brings me back to that theme of like, you know, limitation in a way can equal freedom yeah, or liberation. Absolutely. So you, you mentioned punk rock, and of course, it could be perceived as like the low-hanging fruit in terms of taking ex existing assets and, and warping them into something mm -hmm. else. But punk rock uh, specifically, was that something that played a role in your life growing no. up? Just, just punk rock music? <laughs> no. <or? laughs> <laughs> nope. Uh, what, what did, um, you know, kind of lead, lead, leading up to art school, leading up to sort of your realization that this is something you really wanted to you know, latch onto just as a person in terms of creation uh, and expression, what were the sure. sparks that, that prompted you to lead you to where you are now? I am, um, like I briefly touched on it earlier, but I, I'm from a very small town in Wisconsin. Like when I right. live where, like when I went to school there and grew up there, it was, I mean, if I remember right, well under a thousand people in the town, like our neighbors were farmers for the most part. There were fields everywhere. I lived in the woods. It was pretty cut off. Um, so because of that, there was no subculture. I mean, I love subculture now. I'm super fascinated by it, but I've never been part of any subculture at all. Mm -hmm. Like, um, it didn't exist where I grew up. You know what I mean? 
so when you ask if I like punk was influential, I was like punk didn't exist where, you know, like where I'm from, there was no punk. So I was the punk. I was the one counterculture person, you know, like I was the scene. <laughs> what I did latch onto as soon as possible though, was music in the internet really. When, as soon as the internet was available, I was like all over my dad to get that shit immediately. Like, and as soon as I got on there, I realized, okay, now this is my portal to people who are more like me and, and, just being able to find things that I'm interested in, you know, like I was up on it all night, every night. I remember I would be on the internet until the time my dad would wake up to go to work and I would have to go hide and pretend I was sleeping. And then he would go to work and I would get back up and go back on the internet. I was just obsessed with it. But through that, I found a lot of music and a lot of musicians. And even though I lived in the middle of nowhere through the internet, I was connecting with a lot of them. Um, record labels and bands and stuff like that just because I was a super fan like I was a kid and I was just obsessed with you know uh, cool music and counterculture and shit and I tried to involve myself in it as much as possible one of the things that I did was um I would start uh websites like uh, I learned how to build websites when I was really young like and I would build these websites and then I would review music which is just so an obscene <laughs> thought that I ever did that because I have no way any sort of <laughs> you know, authority or even have a good ear. I have no idea what I'm do talking about. But I guess when I was 14, I thought that was a good idea. But I think it was more so a scam I was running without knowing it was a scam at the time. But it was a scam <laughs> for me to get free albums, like to get free music. And I somehow back then was able to connect with every major record label, every manager I wanted to get a hold of any band. And I think it's because the internet was new. People didn't understand it could just be yeah. anybody you were talking to. So right, the, right. I, my mailbox was full in this little town in the middle of nowhere. I was having a full mailbox almost every day of albums that were just being sent to me by record labels and shit. Was your dad just like, <laughs> what the fuck is going I mean, on here? <laughs> he didn't, I don't think he cared much about uh, or even understood what was going on. I mean, we had a tumultuous relationship back then, me and him. Um, there was a lot of factors that went into that or whatever, but it was just me and him at the time. He was working. I barely saw him. He wasn't a fan of the music I was listening to. He was very religious back then. And I even remember one day coming home from school and all the albums that had parental advisory on it were just cracked in the, in the, in the, no. in the trash bin. It was horrible, horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he didn't have much, much to say about it. I don't think, but in hindsight, I think we both get a good laugh about it. And I, he realizes that as a 14 year old, I was quite industrious, like to get these major record labels to be sending me all these albums just for free. Like, you know, that was look me, even me looking back, well, I'm like, how I mean, the fuck did I do that? What a crazy thing. Well, I mean, but, I mean, to me, that's, that, that's as punk as it gets, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's very much what we did growing up in terms of figuring out how to connect. And, and of course, when the internet came out, that, that became more of a thing where like there was these, you know, there were these punk rock and hardcore chat rooms and community, you know, online communities of kids around around the world really who were listening to different bands and that's kind of how the whole sharing mm -hmm. of music started where people would talk about you know these bands from new york or these bands from connecticut or these bands from california or these bands from texas and suddenly you know everyone was on the internet because it was so new and kind of like you just like staying up all night i mean i i, I did a very similar thing where like once once you kind of realized that you had this access you had this like portal to like all these things that that would resonate with you whether it was like music or or, or you see these these like visuals and images um it, it seemed like it was an infinite mm -hmm. amount of it 
you just absorb it like a sponge, especially when you're a kid, you know, and that kind of shapes your reality, even if it's in your mind, you know, so even if your like external environment was super rural and isolated in a lot of ways, you had access to this world that really exactly. resonated with you. It's, it's crazy how the internet kind of changed everything. I've, I, um, yeah, regarding I owe that. everything to the internet. Like if it wasn't for the internet, I have no idea what, who I would be right now. Like what I would be doing, I just can't even fathom. I just can't even imagine what my life would be without the internet. It got me to where I'm not at now. I, I owe a deep gratitude to towards the internet. <laughs> I mean, I, I think if, if it weren't for the internet, there's no way in hell that I would I would have gotten back this or I would have gotten this band back together. You know, I mean, Drone yeah. Stream was a band so long ago. I mean, we started in 97, ended in 2001, <laughs> and then all of this time went by. And then because of the internet, the music somehow kept this, you know, level of sustainability, I guess, because yeah. people and, and kids were discovering it on streaming platforms like Spotify. And so when we as a band kind of returned to, to it and started like listening to the chatter about people still listening to the music, it's like, okay, like there's still a, a demand for it or there's still interest in what we did 20 years ago. This is so weird. And able to return to it in a way that we did, we could not have possibly done it without the, the current landscape of, of technology and, and access, you know. And that's what I'm realizing now is like younger people in terms of how they access music, how they access art, how they access anything, basically. Whereas 20 years ago, it was still a bit of a navigation and, and a combination of having to get out there, having to tour and play every single basement or kitchen or living room that you had access to, developing a, a community through on a grassroots level. But then the internet kind of just like took over and, and allowed Absolutely. allowed everyone to see everything. Basically. Absolutely. Even, you know? the, even in art, I remember when I was in college, uh, illustration teacher was still like the internet had existed for a good amount of time. I was very invested in the internet and I still had teachers resisting in a way by saying things like the way to get illustration jobs would be to, you know, print out an actual portfolio and send it in the mail to, you know, potential clients. Right. And it's like, right, wow, right. why are you resisting this? This is crazy that we're being taught this right now because that is surely not the way to do it anymore. Like 100%. But back to your point about, or back to your question, um, I, w I meant to say that that was the art then that I was exposed to back then, that it was art on album covers and art in magazines mm. and comic books and stuff. And I think that's heavily informed the artwork that I make today, that that was the first art I was exposed to. There was no museums around. There was no, I didn't even understand what the notion <clears throat> of fine art really was until I was like 20. I think that's very influential and, and important to what my work has turned into be and like what my career is. And you mentioned magazines. What what kind of magazines were you coming across, and and where did you where did you find them? How did you accumulate them? I mean, in the mail. I think um, I would get a lot of magazines in the same way that I would get a lot of those albums, just by connecting with the people who made the magazines. I can remember Circus Magazine. Do you remember that magazine? Yeah, oh, yeah. I remember Circus mm -hmm. Magazine. I would read a lot, and like I think Alternative Press exists back then. So a lot of music magazines, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just drawing similarities to when I was younger and um, discovering, you know, you're basically discovering culture mm -hmm. through 
print exactly. media versus internet, you know? And I remember back in the day. Or versus, for me, or versus just direct experience with the subculture, you know? like Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for me, it was like, it was sort of a combination of the two where, you know, I, I mean, I, I grew up listening to punk rock and hardcore and there was a real thriving punk scene in Connecticut where I grew up. But in those, those earlier years, late 90s, early 2000s, at one point I lived in Massachusetts. I was up just outside of Amherst and I was living with, with um, a couple other punkers. And um, I just remember th- this girl that we were living with, Kelly, and she had like all these, all these magazines and they were a mix from like fashion and architecture and lifestyle and stuff. And, and I, so I'm just, I'm just thinking about the magazines that I discovered just as someone who's very like v- visually motivated. I just remember like the early yeah. magazines and like the face and like ID and surface um, those are all magazines like, I didn't get to late until later, you know, like they didn't even carry those in the closest city to me, you know, I had less, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. And, and just to think back on, on when I was discovering those types of magazines and, and the way the editorial was and the art direction mm-hmm. and the layouts and the fashion and, and the interviews and profiles of different people in culture or, or subculture, that, that really was sort of the early version of my window to kind of discovering while I was still like, you know, we were playing DIY punk shows and stuff, but then there was like this added element of, of culture that I only saw really through the magazines. And that's kind of what first kind of inspired me to get into more visually based work. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't call myself a visual artist at all, but I'm, you know, I'm obsessed with design and typography and layout and composition. I think that, I think that shows <laughs> oh thank you um, yeah yeah i mean that's just where it all started was those earlier days you know it's really interesting i mean i think that it's such a fascinating thing how you were just saying too how you would look at these magazines but basically you're saying like you didn't have the direct experience of experiencing those scenes but you were experiencing it only through these magazines um i did i think that there's something to that like that's kind of what i was trying to speak to about like i didn't have any direct contact with any subculture but i was experiencing the subculture as like this spectator almost and trying to incorporate it into my work and um, just is taking it all in. But I think it's a lot different for a person to look from the outside in than from somebody be on the inside and drawing inspiration that way. When at one point your observation and sort of study of these different areas of culture through magazines, through the internet, suddenly like you, when you find yourself actually involved in it or or participating in it and in, in, in some shape or form you realize that's like oh wait like i'm i'm making my own contribution to this culture i'm making my own contribution to to underground culture you know and then i do yeah, yeah and like you suddenly take take a look around you and you're like oh this is the world that i'm shaping around my creativity my work you know my my view mm-hmm and it seems like that's what you you have very much done over these years is, you know, again, getting back to this idea of collaging is like a, a form of warping reality or, mm-hmm. or interpreting reality through your own lens. Absolutely. I, I, I totally I get a lot of the same feelings that you're talking about. Um, but at the same time, I still find myself or still think of myself as a total outsider. Like I don't yeah. I don't consider myself part of any subculture, part of any scene or anything like that. If anything, I'm trying to make my own. Like, I don't want to be part of anything else, really. Like, I want to contribute, but in my own way. 
and I want to be, I, I want to remain like a singular thing. I want, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't want to, I don't really want to. I, I used to feel very, um, I used to feel very strange about the fact that like I was so into subculture and I tried to work with a lot of people involved in subcultures and music scenes and stuff like that, but that I had no background in it and that I wasn't part of it really. And I thought that was like a detriment for a long time until recently when I started to realize, or maybe not super recently, but over the last few years, just realizing like it's what much more a strength to be your own scene, to be your own culture and like to be your own subculture in a way. Because scenes and subcultures can be limiting in a lot of ways. And mm -hmm. there's like scene police and, you know, subculture police. And, where and it's, politics. And all yeah, and all that crap. And I think that that stuff is just a hindrance to any sort of creativity or art. So I find myself in a very good position these days of being accepted by a lot of people that are participants in the subcultures without me having to subscribe to any of them ever. I think that's very well said. And I, I think that's probably one of the most powerful places to be as a creative person or just just in general in terms of the mm -hmm. confidence of your own position and not having the feeling of, of needing to align yourself with any particular yeah. culture to 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 validate like your identity you know? exactly that's what i was going to say like to, to validate yourself or whatever to not need that that feedback to validate yourself is is an empowering place to be for, for sure that level of confidence and sort of un like really clear understanding of who you are as a person, as a creative person, as an artist, have you ever come across any kind of pushback with your work by anybody? Or has, has it ever been critiqued in a way where it was a risk, you know, possibly an unsavory response or maybe a response that was maybe unfounded and almost more so an attack on, on, on you or, or, any element of what it is that you're kind of putting out there? Like, has anyone? Surprisingly not, not really. Um, but I, I mean, I try not to pay too much attention to that kind of nonsense, right. but um, I, I really haven't. I haven't had a lot of haters, if you want to say that. Like, sure. I haven't, I feel, I feel fortunate that I haven't, but I think it's, um, I think it's kind of baked into how I go about presenting my work to people or presenting my work to the world where I don't say a whole lot. I don't, I don't use, um, you know, like written language or spoken language very much, which obviously hilarious saying that while I'm doing a podcast, but I don't, <laughs> I don't say much. Like I don't put captions under a lot of my artwork and I don't open myself up to that kind of feedback or that kind of critique or whatever that it's just an image. Like what, if you want to talk shit, like if you're just talking shit because somebody posted an image, that's a weird, that would be a weird thing. Like I know I don't really open myself up to it and that's, you know, baked into how I want to present myself. I don't want to say a whole lot. So it's more just like you can accept this or not, but either way here, here it just is. I think that's such a great way to sort of position yourself where it's kind of like a take it or leave it situation. Yeah, I wish the same held true for for music but i feel like there's just something about music that it just gives people this people just feel that they they can critique music much harsher than they it can. is isn't that it's weird too like it and it just must be because everybody likes music like not everybody pays attention to art at all like most people don't i would actually say like just pay attention to visual artists but everybody listens to music music is the most democratic thing there is you know like yeah 
so everybody can have an opinion basically it seems like you know because like they have all listened to music all their lives you know <laughs> even though the medium's different i feel like a lot of the approach to music is probably similar to the approach to to anything visual because they're both forms of expression it's a tough place to be right because i think it's an, it's amazing that you've been fortunate enough and it, honestly at the end of the day who who cares right because mm-hmm. i mean god knows JD has definitely had its amount of criticism and uh, and haters, which is fine because we've we've always been a band that has definitely um, it has not aligned with with a lot of people's tastes, I guess. And these people they they like to make it known, I guess. But but we <laughs> we, we we take a similar approach where it kind of we don't necessarily want a genre to define who we are, and I think that's sort of been both you know our advantage and disadvantage as far as being a, a, a hardcore band that has widely been associated with with a particular genre of hardcore and so it's like when you put out an album that doesn't sound like your last or when you put out an album that doesn't share like a similar uh, aesthetic to your previous one mm-hmm. people they kind of like self-implode it compels them to to uh communicate their their disapproval you know yeah it's like that's no one super interesting you, <laughs> yeah yeah it's very interesting i think about the dichotomy between art and music a lot in the kind of those terms too where it's like like i said earlier like music is a much more democratic art form in a way like mm. not in not in the sense of like I mean, I put my art out there for anybody to see. So in that sense, you know, it's it's completely just everybody's welcome to look at this in any way or whatever. Right. But, when it, but when it comes to like music and stuff, I guess when it comes to success in the world is how it's different and how one's more democratic than the other. Whereas like if you're a musician and a bunch of people like your music, you become successful and popular, you make good money, right? Like if you right. become a very well-known musician, it's because a whole lot of people liked you. It's not just because one person did a lot. It's because a lot of people did. Like one person can't make the career of an artist or of a musician. Right. I mean, right. They, they, they technically could, but you know what I mean. It's a totally. more democratic thing. But when it comes to art, it's not like that whatsoever. Like you can have tons of people that like you, but you're not really putting something out there that they can all buy. Nobody can purchase all of it unless you're doing a lot of prints and shit like that. Whereas in art, at the highest level of art, you get to a point where the vast majority of people may hate your shit, may hate it you know, may think it's the worst shit, but one wealthy person was willing to invest, you know, so much money into buying a few of your pieces. And now you're a millionaire. Now you're successful because one person, because one rich person wanted to support you or or liked your work while the rest of the world hated it. And that it's not like that for music whatsoever. I know it's, it's, uh, I think I might be in the wrong business. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) I mean, I think that business model of one, like I always like, I think I would rather be part of something that was a democratic thing where it was like, you get a whole bunch of people that like your shit and then you do well, like that makes more sense to me than the whole, the structure of like, well, I have a wealthy collector, so it doesn't even matter. I think that that's like, that's bullshit. In a way, as long as you're able to produce the work that you want and, and you happen to be lucky enough to have people uh, commission you for work or, or whatever, I mean, that's, that's a dream in a way. Yeah, like, like, that's w- fair. But, but, but of course, yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I was, to- yeah, I, I went 
I was to say that's bullshit. You know, I meant it more in like that. You know, the, the fact of a democratic type structure rep versus a non-democratic structure. No, I, would, I would much rather that. But I mean, if somebody came knocking on my door with a million dollars and was like, "Hey, sell me a bunch of work. Here's a million dollars," I would be so fucking stoked. So don't take me wrong. <laughs> no, absolutely. You mentioned how you have a level of um, not resistance, but but you you mindfully choose not to in a way almost over communicate beyond mm -hmm. the actual work itself and i love that so much because it's just like let the work do the talking mm -hmm. and then again this kind of take it or leave it thing it's like you either you know the work either resonates with you or it doesn't and here it is I'm not saying that it's it's widely available for sale but this is the work i create and mm -hmm. obviously you know if you're if you're lucky enough to get commercial work that sort of um embraces your aesthetic embraces your concepts embraces your visual direction that's an amazing thing right absolutely um, i think that um that level of laying low it's such a great way to almost like keep yourself protected while still being widely you know accessible you know in terms of how you typically go about your day and how you go about your daily work and, and your routine because again we're kind of circling back to the beginning of like this level of isolation due to the circumstances that we're all in right now, it's not that much of a departure from what you're normally doing on a daily basis. And there's something kind of empowering about that, right? Where you're not necessarily really losing any control from what you had before the current reality of things. It's like where, where some people are, are running around with the, like their heads chopped off, like, you know, like, like, like a chicken or something, not mm -hmm. knowing like w how to adapt or, or how to sort of find balance again. You know, there's something really empowering about. Absolutely. Um, it's like uh, having, yeah. like having a lead, having a head start. It's, you know, it's like uh, having a head start into this situation where everybody else is trying to figure out what to do with themselves and how to go forward in the new reality or whatever. And, you know, someone like me, and I know a lot of other artists or whatever already in that position. So we all have a head start. I mean, I know we're kind of entering uh, a real, a real unknown here with the duration and how this is going to develop. But again, sort of earlier in the conversation where we we're talking about this level of acceptance and kind of just like letting it, well, not letting it be what it is, but sort of accepting it for what mm -hmm. it is and to not try to impose any kind of timeline on it because you we simply just don't know how this is going to play out with with that said where do you think i mean just sort of in general where do you think things are going to go in terms of your your work and what are some of the things that are kind of percolating in terms of what or where you might take your your vision yeah. I know that's it's sort of it's open ended, and I know we kind of touched on it a little bit before. But what might be? It's a really good you? question. You know, I, I I don't know. I feel like I feel like things just need to play out a little bit longer, and we can see what things are. Because I mean, like we don't know. Like it's hard to say as an artist because you want to say like, well, I'm working on a show or I'm doing this and that. Like we were talking earlier that right. like the second phase of of an artist is sharing the art. And I think that's where everybody right now is at in trying to figure out, given the new reality, how do we share our work? And I think I'm there with everybody else right now trying to think what is the best way I can go about getting this work out into the world, given the circumstances we're in now.
like we were saying earlier about the raining cement project, that's a really great thing to have right now because it's something I've been working on for a long time and that I can continue to work on and it can be go on uninterrupted given the circumstances and having the record label uh, that we just started as something to work on where Greg has his own album coming out. So I'm working on that with him, you know, like videos and the artwork surrounding it and stuff like that. We can go forward with these things. So that's exciting to me to have those things and, to become more of a focus on those things right now. Um, but as far as like the art practice and I'm just keeping going, I'm just going to keep on making work, taking the opportunity that everybody's, you know, stuck in their place right now to like not be bothered and let myself just dive into the work and figure out what to do with it later. But I do know that I've been sharing a lot of the things, like I was saying earlier, I was holding on to things for a show, holding on to things for a magazine, holding on to things for this or that. And I'm definitely just starting to put it out there. Like I said, it's not the time to hold it. So yeah. I know that that's one way that I'm reacting to it. It's just more sharing. I think a lot of the ways that I plan to just live my life differently will flow over into how I practice um, my art as well. Whereas like being more open, being more honest, being more sharing, being less um, less protective of myself, maybe less... I mean, less introverted in a way where I'm just more, more sharing, like more sharing my process and stuff. Those things are coming clear to me that like those things are important. Like there's no time for posturing anymore. Like there's no time for, for like, you know, trying to play a role or pretend that you're somebody else or like try to show a certain aspect of yourself. I think that this experience and this circumstances opened me up to sharing more of myself in ways. And I, that's, I definitely see that going forward where, Yeah it's like leaning into the process yeah. more than ever, you know, em embracing the process. And, and I agree with you in, in terms of having to see this kind of play out to really know where things are going to go. But I, I think you have a pretty good idea of what needs to take place yeah. on, 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 on a daily. My, I find myself to be a highly adaptive person where I, I can adapt to a new reality quickly. Like I don't just sit in the shock of it for yeah. a long time. It's just like, okay, now I understand that. Let's move forward. Let's do this. Let's go. Like I'm ready to go immediately. It doesn't take me a long time. I don't get knocked down for long. Um, and I think that that's going to be a great quality to have in these times as well. Just that ability to, to adapt um, immediately to a new reality, which has already come in handy by, you know, I'm not freaking out. I'm not, you know, losing my shit over this. And I think that that quality is going to be something that people need to adopt and, um, really lean into really be ready to adapt to whatever. So that like what you were saying or what we were saying about just having to wait and see how things play out. It doesn't mean that I'm not ready to act on it immediately. You know, like as soon as something becomes clear to me or I feel like my intuition is strong towards something, I'll be ready to go immediately. So I think that is more what I'm focusing on, like remaining in that space, remaining centered as much as possible so that I can turn in any direction as fast as needed. Yeah. I love that. And it, I can't help but draw a parallel to the actual process of building a collage, you know, um, in a way it's almost like the current landscape is its own collage. And with your approach and mindset to it, it's almost like you're, you're a, you're a piece of this collage and you're, you're able to yeah. warp it in a way that makes sense to you and allows you to keep moving forward and to keep creating, but to also adapt. As Absolutely. It kind of, I, I like that itself, analogy you know? because like when I'm working on collages, you know, at first they're not glued down, they're just pieces and you move them around. And so like right now 
it's a collage for sure, but the pieces aren't glued down yet. You know, it's still moving around on the board, but ready to be glued down as soon as you get that moment. Like I know the moment a collage is done because it, it feels like a click, like the pieces fall into place and it feels right. I know it. Like I trust my intuition to an utmost degree when I'm working and um, I can feel when something's done. And I think that that's going to be the same situation in just all of reality right now where it will like, there'll be a click, like I'll know it, I'll feel it. And then I'll be ready to take action. I'll be ready to glue down the collage. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please subscribe and share this on social media. You can also make a donation, buy a t-shirt, or simply send me a note of encouragement. That's always nice. Thanks for listening.